Jump into Daniel, and by the way, by saying jump in, I mean jump in. Fasten your seatbelts because Pastor Jed does not have the five to six pages of notes that he normally has. He has eight. Okay, so we have got to get through this amazing, powerful book this morning in a real way. But it is a book that I am confident will impact your life if you allow God to do that. I would encourage you to listen to the words of the psalmist as he says these words in Psalm 135. Verse 5 says, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth. In the seas and in all the deeps. This morning, do you know how great our Lord is? This morning, is He truly in your life greater than all other gods? And I know that sounds weird to ask in a church service, right? But the gods of our land surround us. Is he truly greater than all other gods? And are you comfortable with God doing as he pleases? Ooh. That may be because you're sitting in, in church this morning, an automatic, well, yes, but are you? Are you truly comfortable with God doing as he pleases? Because sometimes in our prayers, we ask God to do something different, don't we? As we look at Daniel this morning, we are going to truly begin to, to see, and I hope that our hearts resonate with the greatness of our God. We're going to see how God demonstrates in powerful ways that he truly is greater than any other God there is. And whether or not you're comfortable, God's going to do as he pleases. hate to break it to you. When we look at the book of Daniel... There is a concept that we have to understand about our God. He is sovereign. God is sovereign and he is working out his plan over the course of time. He is going to work through world leaders, dictators, powers, wherever it may be, on a global scale, on a local scale, to work out his plan. Plan, and God has never once in the history of man ever been not in control. Never once has God not been on his throne ruling in sovereignty. As we go through Daniel, we will see this demonstrated in powerful ways. And I hope that your, your concept of God after this morning is much grander. 
The, the book of Daniel opens with two very interesting verses. Look at the book of Daniel with me. We're going to turn to chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, we've talked about that guy before, remember him? Not that great. He thought he was. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord, look at these words, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. The Lord did that. Two men are identified at the very beginning, the opening verses of this book. Jehoiakim and Nebuchadnezzar, two men who in their own eyes found themselves to be very great. The pride that welled up within these men was disgusting. But God was going to use these men for his overall plan. And today, we are going to understand that plan just a little bit better. How many of you have ever wondered about the plan of God? Those that don't raise your hand, I don't, you are really trusting. I want to know his plan. It's interesting, so many ask, Pastor, what's God's plan for my life? I look at him and I say, I have no clue. I, I know his will for your life. The Bible's very clear on that. I have no clue about the plan, though. But we are going to see his overarching plan. We are going to look at the powers that he moves, he works through for his plan. We're going to take time to remember a promise that God gave and look at a promise that he gives and considering all those things looking at those things this morning we are going to leave here I pray I hope with a greater peace in our hearts as you and I face today and tomorrow how many of you would love to be able to face tomorrow with a true peace in your heart I do and Daniel offers that. When we look at the prophet, the, the, the prophet Daniel is an amazing individual, really. I, I wish we had time just to really dive into to who he was and the godly man of character that he was. But we saw in the opening verses two individuals that, that found themselves to be very great. It's interesting. We look at Daniel and I would consider him a great man, but his perspective of himself was so humble. And he continued to point people to his great God. What an amazing man or woman of God we would be if we constantly pointed people to our great God. I, I would challenge us to consider to dare to be a Daniel in our lives as we do this. I, I want to briefly look at the overview of, of this, 
this book. As, and I know you're like, whoa, he's already in the overview. There's a lot of stuff we're looking at in Daniel, okay? So as we look at it, in the very opening chapter, we look at, at Daniel in, in great depth. We see a lot of his, his history come out. And in chapters 1 through 6, we see a lot more historical things going on in the book of Daniel. We, we see the things that are occurring during that 70 years of captivity. But in chapters 7 through 12, it's greatly prophetic. And there's prophecy in the first six chapters as well. And, and the prophecy that we look at throughout this book is so detailed that the book of Daniel has come under great scrutiny over the, over the centuries. Many have looked at Daniel and said there is no possible way this could have been a, a book of prophecy. The authenticity of it is, is questioned. Because the detail in it is just absolutely amazing. It's interesting. If you take eight, eight prophecies, and they have to be fulfilled, the chances of them being fulfilled is, I had to write this down, one in ten to the 17th power. That's a really big number. Okay, and I like word pictures. So the best word picture I've found is if you fill the state of Texas two feet high with pennies. You mark one penny, put it somewhere in the state, blindfold you, tell you to go out there and find that penny reaching down once. That's the odds. I, I yeah. But do you realize that in chapter 11, between verses 2 to 31, there are over 135 fulfilled prophecies? Let that sink in. And we look at this and we say, there's no way. Unless you and I serve a sovereign God. Unless you and I serve a God who is not bound by time, who knows yesterday and today and tomorrow the same. If we serve that God, then we look at Daniel and we're like, of course. We, we see that Daniel was written um, over the course of the time while the Jews are in captivity there. It's interesting, the Dead Sea Scrolls go and offer even more evidence to this. It's wonderful. And it's interesting. It's one of the few books that actually has multiple languages. Do you realize chapter 1 was written in Hebrew? Chapter 1 is talking about the, the, the cat being taken into captivity and what God is doing with his people Israel. Chapter 2, though, goes and kicks in. It's not written in Hebrew. It's written in Aramaic all the way to chapter 7. A message for the Gentiles. And then in chapter 8 through 12, it goes back to Hebrew, dealing once again with Israel. God has a plan for his people, Israel. God has a plan for the Gentile nations, and Daniel lays that out for us in a beautiful way. It's quite fascinating. I, and consider the man Daniel. He's worth a study. Do you realize that we, we see the whole course of his life? 
But there's a segment of 50 years that Daniel really doesn't share what goes on in his life much. All we know is that he faithfully, for over 50 years, serves God without wavering in politics. Wouldn't that be amazing to see today? A man or woman serving God in politics faithfully, and he finishes well. What about a man or a woman of God serving faithfully in their home? Serving faithfully in their career? It doesn't have to be a politician. And finishing well. Dare to be a Daniel. Daniel serves under multiple emperors. Multiple kings under multiple empires. Never ceasing to waver in his faithfulness to God. In fact, when they sought to to try to find something wrong with him, the only place they could attack him was in his faithfulness to his God. Wouldn't that be amazing if that could be said of each person in the church today? Daniel's an interesting character. There is no mention of faults or sin in his life. He's one of the few in Scripture that that no faults are mentioned, but it does not mean that Daniel was without sin. In chapter 9, we see Daniel praying, asking for forgiveness, not only of the sins of his nation, but his own sin. Daniel still understood that he himself was a sinner in need of of God. What a man. Ezekiel, if you read through Ezekiel last last, or two weeks ago uh, with us, someone said they, they listened to Ezekiel trying to fall asleep. Oh my goodness, that's not a good idea. That'll give you nightmares. But in Ezekiel, as he's writing, he speaks of Daniel three different times, speaking of his character and his righteousness. This man, Daniel, stood out. And Scripture records that he is a prophet. In fact, in in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus himself would refer to Daniel in his words and what Daniel spoke of, and he refers to Daniel as a prophet, one who speaks the words of God. And it is this man that God chooses to use to unfold his plan for both Israel and the Gentile nations throughout history. The book really takes us on a journey and it challenges us to look at our hearts. It challenges us to look at our God. I appreciate that when I was in Africa, they had no word for, for pride. So they interpreted it Making God small, making you big. The opposite is true. If we are truly humble, then we allow ourselves to become small, comfortable with a God who does as he pleases because he becomes grander and grander in our hearts, in our eyes, in our minds. 
And I pray that this happens as we look at Daniel. We go through and we see that God is working in each part of this book. And overarching everything is the sovereignty of God. It is amazing when we truly allow that sovereignty to take place in our hearts. But Daniel reveals God's plan for world powers. And I want us to take some time to look at that. It's interesting, God uses a pagan king to do this. As we look at those world powers... I want you this morning to think of some of the world powers that we have in play today. And I want you to think about how you pray for those world powers. Because I can guarantee that Daniel prayed for those leaders. Daniel prayed for King Nebuchadnezzar. Do we pray for our world leaders? King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He couldn't figure it out, so he called all the wise men and said, Hey, tell me my dream and tell me the interpretation, or I'll kill you. He could do that. He was emperor. Guess what? They couldn't tell the dream. So, king said, Fine. We're going to kill all the wise men in the land. They came to Daniel, and Daniel's like, let me pray about this. Just give us a moment here. Let me go to my God. He goes, he prays, and God gives this. And Daniel goes before King Nebuchadnezzar. I love this. Turn with me in chapter 2, and beginning in verse 25. <laughs> By the way, the, uh, the king's uh, attendant, soldier there, found him uh, According to his words, look at what it says. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have, <laughs> I have found a man. Oh my goodness, you talk about a guy trying to get good in, in the king's presence, right? It's like, I found someone, king. Make note of that, king. I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? I wish I could have been there to see Arioch's face. And I wonder if Daniel paused just a moment when he said these next words. Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Pause. Swallow hard. But... However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in later days. This was your dream, 
and the visions in your mind while on your bed. And he declares the dream to him. He declares what God is going to do. And the dream was of this image that had different metals and the working out of what God would do. And now it's interesting. You come to a dream like this, and, and I, and I, or you come to something difficult in Scripture. And the first thing I encourage you to do is keep reading. Explore the context. So often we come to these difficult things, we see an image in a dream, and we're like, what could it mean? That's weird. And oftentimes we find ourselves pausing right there. But as we look at this, we're going to see a contrast with all the nations of the world and the everlasting kingdom of God. Do you realize that if we looked at this vision in chapter 2, that we would come up with all sorts of different meanings? Oh, as pastors, we would be like, well, it could mean this, it could mean this. Oh, well, I'm looking around and seeing all these things in the world, so it must mean this. God's like, you know what, pastors and people and preachers, I mean, they will just go all over the place. So you know what God did? He gave the interpretation. He says, this is what it means. And he lays it out. This is honestly why so many have argued with Daniel, because it's so detailed. He gives the interpretation, this, this vision here, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and the interpretation is the backbone of biblical prophecy. It ties so many things in from Revelation, from the prophets, from Thessalonians, all of these things in, and it was a figure, and he explains what the figure means. And in the following verses, we see it. We see it in chapter 7 and 8 as well. Let me just give you some, some things that I just observe about this, okay? First of all, you have a head of gold, chest of silver, belly of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of, well, clay and iron mixed together. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we go from really valuable metals to worthless. We see that it's moving down. We're moving down through the, the, the pages of history, through time. But as the metals decrease in value, they increase in strength. And God's giving us a blueprint here. Looking at the time, checking pages, we're going to cruise. You ready? And you're like, why am I getting a history lesson at church? Well, first of all, God's the one who gave this history before history was written. I think that's important to know. And we're truly going to leave here comfortable with God doing as he pleases. We need to understand that, first of all, he has a plan. 
the head of gold was, was representative of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you're trying to get all of these things written down, you can go to the website and you can download the PDF, okay? Okay, good. All right. Gold is the richest metal, but not very strong. But Nebuchadnezzar had unlimited rule in his kingdom. It's interesting in verse 37 that God says this, You, O king, are the king of kings who, to whom the God of heavens, notice this, has given the kingdom. God gave that kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar. power, the strength, and the glory. As Nebuchadnezzar would listen to the words, he would discover that God was going to give his kingdom after him to a more inferior kingdom. When you enter into a, a king, the first words out of your mouth often would be, O king, live forever. That was spoken so you wouldn't die. But the truth is that these kings do not live forever. In fact, each one of them would fall, 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 fall. But it is God's kingdom, God himself, who is forever. His kingdom is eternal. We need to remember that. As much as I love this great nation, and I appreciate the freedoms that we have it is not forever. Our God is. Chest of arms. It's, it's the Medes and the Persians that come together. Medo-Persia, they come together. It's interesting that two arms, they linked arms together to take down Babylon. And yet again, it is God who gave that over. Chapter 8 describes this in greater detail. It's interesting that Daniel, in his lifetime, would serve under Nebuchadnezzar and serve under the Medes and the Persians. And it would be under the Medes and Persians that the people would go back to the land. Known for their silver, their silver coins. We go to the belly of bronze, Greece. It's fascinating as we look at this, bronze is a much more uh, rigid metal. Not as valuable, but rigid. And the army was known for the bronze. In fact, they would polish their bronze shields and use it to reflect the sun into the eyes of their enemy as they swiftly would overtake them. <laughs> as Alexander the Great leading Greece into global domination as he would come and, and see the scrolls he took the scrolls from Jerusalem and he asked, why is your God writing about me? Down to the very detail that describes that Alexander the Great would divide his empire four different ways with his generals. Daniel speaks to that. And then we have Rome. It's interesting that it's two legs. We see in Rome that there was two divisions, two different parts. There was the, the Roman Empire that ruled in the western and eastern divisions of the world. We see that over time that 
politically, the two divisions would kind of separate. Rome was never defeated. It kind of just assimilated. We see over time that from this empire of Rome, Daniel says will come the lawless one, the Antichrist, as Revelation puts it. And it blends with clay, and it goes to the clay feet, where iron and clay mix together. Clay is worthless. It's dirt. It's mud. Clay pottery has no value compared to a golden vessel, right? And you mix iron and clay, and it's kind of, a, kind of funny, because iron does not mix with clay. Yet we see the clay indicative of man. Man is, comes from the clay. God formed man from the clay, the dust of the earth. We see all these different nationalities kind of coming together. However, it doesn't mix. So somehow they keep their unique identity as they try to assemble and mix together. And in those days, with those kings, another kingdom will be established. A rock is carved, a stone. We see that Christ in Scripture is called the cornerstone, the stone on which they stumbled. And from that, we see that stone causes the entire statue to crumble. And the winds take it away as chaff. And in comes a kingdom that is eternal. In the pages of Daniel, we see this played out. It's exhibited chapter after chapter as it comes together and God is revealing his plan for not only the Gentile nations but his people Israel. He's saying, I have a plan for you. One day there will be a government. It will be a monarchy. And there will be one king who rules eternal with righteousness and justice. We who know him will get to serve and rule with him. Revelation talks about that as well. When the mountain comes, God establishes his kingdom. That's history in a nutshell. History that hasn't happened yet. And you're like, oh my goodness. All of that's in there? Yes. But through all of this, as Daniel is receiving all of this, Daniel is also praying to God because God gave a promise to his people Israel. When they would go into captivity, he told Jeremiah, he told Ezekiel, they would be there for 70 years. God gave a promise. 
You know what I'm grateful for is when we come to the scriptures, we see God is a God who keeps his word. Daniel, in chapter 9, has, has a perspective and a view. He's looking at the promise of God. He's thinking of 70 years as he's praying and pleading with God. God sends an angel, Gabriel, to him with a message. It's one of the most encouraging things because immediately when Daniel prayed, God answered. But it took time. There is a spiritual warfare that is going on, and Daniel shows that. But as the, as the angel comes, he reviews, yes, Daniel, your view is 70 years, but let me explain to you my view, God says. Turn with me to chapter 9 in your Bibles. Chapter 9 is, is an amazing, encouraging passage, and we find in there God's view and a promise given. In verse 24, it says this. Remember, Daniel's thinking of 70 years, and God says, let me reveal something else. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place, so you are to know and discern. Mark those words. There's something we're to know. There's something we're to discern. From the, that, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again in plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince, who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering, and on the, on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out, on the one who makes desolate. There's a lot there. I wish we had time to go through it all. I would encourage you, if you want, come and talk with me afterwards. I would love to do that. But we are going to talk some numbers in rapid sequence. All right? They're up there for you as well. And I'm going to get through this. 70 weeks. The literal interpretation in Hebrew is 77s. Seventy sevens, and this is a group of sevens. The context in which Daniel is thinking is years. And as we look at this, Daniel is reflecting on 490 years of 70. I know some of you love math. Some of you despise math. How many of you despise math? I'm curious. I am sorry. For the rest of you, you will love this, okay? So just bear through this. Listen to what this, this okay? 77, 70 times 7 is 490. Got it up there on the board there, okay? 
The math is good. I used a calculator. All right? And, and this is a decree. It means something is, is set. Now, notice who it's set for. Daniel is told, for your people. Who's Daniel's people? Israel, right. And it says, for your city. What's Daniel's city? Good. It, 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 this is simple stuff, really, when we think about it. Okay, so we're talking about Israel. We're talking about Jerusalem here. 490 years. There's six things which will occur listed in this passage. First, the finish of transgression. There will be no more sin. Sin will be dealt with and done. Make an end of sin. There will be an atonement for iniquity. Blood covers, it, their blood is what atones for sin. Okay? Fourth, there will bring in an everlasting righteousness. Fifth, seal up vision and prophecy. Is there prophecy yet to be done? The answer is yes. Yeah, there's, there's prophecy still to occur. And anoint the most holy place. Verse 25 said, to know and discern. There was something that they were to understand. There is something that would start the clock ticking. And that was a decree to rebuild Jerusalem and its walls and everything. We see that decree given in Nehemiah 2. Remember that decree? It's recorded there for us. The clock starts ticking. Seven weeks, seven sets of seven. We see it takes 49 years to rebuild Jerusalem with moat and everything else. On the heels of that, when that is done, we have an additional 434 years to be added. We have 483 years. There's one seven left. You're like, wait a minute, Pastor Jed. I did the math, and that is wrong. If you're doing the math in your head that quick like that, kudos. That's great. I had to use a calculator. Okay? You're like, that should not be 33 AD. You're right if you're using a solar calendar. Remember, Israel works off of a lunar calendar. I tell you, the first time I did the math on this, you should have seen the page. It was lines and this and that. You're working with three different calendars, all of the sorts of things, and it's like, ah! But a lunar calendar works off of 360 days, not 365. If you work that out, it comes down to the days. I have all the numbers here. I'm passing a bunch of numbers. Everybody said, thank you. Assuming that the decree was given on the 1st of Nisan, which many scholars believe, then March 30th, 33 AD, we would have seen Jesus on that Sunday morning getting on a donkey as he rode down to Jerusalem. The crowds yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A psalm of David declaring the Messiah had come. The Pharisees and teachers are like, tell him to shut up. He's like, I can't. 
Because if they don't, the rocks will declare it. The Messiah has come. Why? Because God said it would. But then the Messiah would be cut off. Jerusalem would be destroyed. In 70 AD, we see Jerusalem destroyed. <coughs> it says with fire and blood. Do you realize that it was destroyed? The fire was so intense that the gold within the temple went and melted and they took all the stones off to get the gold out. That the blood was so thick that as it ran through the streets, it put out the fires. There will be wars, and we see those wars even to this day. Wars and rumors of wars. Man's sin constantly building and getting worse. The final week, the seven years. There will be one who makes a covenant with the Jews, Daniel writes about. Three and a half years into that. Halfway through that, that tribulation period, that last week will be a time of great, great tribulation, God says. And halfway through, the covenant is broken. And at the end, Christ will come and set up his throne. He'll destroy All those world leaders who shook their fist at God. For over 500 years, Daniel's words written in this book would be there for the people of Israel. And many, when their Messiah came, as Jesus hung on the cross, his blood atoning for your sin and mine as he was laid in the grave, placed in that tomb, three days later to rise again. They missed it. Oh, may we as we look at God's word today not miss it. Don't miss him. And we close with a peace. I asked you, are you comfortable with God doing as he pleases? It's not comfortable. God allowed a nation to come in and take the people from their land. That wasn't comfortable. God allowed another nation to come in, Greece, and force them all to speak one language. That wasn't comfortable. God allowed another empire to come in and force them to build roads all over for their own glory, for their own just arrogant hearts. That wasn't comfortable. And all along, the people of God are saying, God, what are you doing? It's not comfortable. And as Mark made mention, at the right time. Why was it the right time? Because God gave us the time. At the very right moment in history, 
The Messiah came, and the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of salvation, went out to a world that spoke Greek. It went out faster than it ever could have before in history because there were roads connecting all the towns and cities together. At the very moment in history, God sent His Son at the right time. He had prepared the way and He'd worked through the world powers. And folks, He's coming again. God is preparing the way. Because His Son is coming again. And if he could do it before, he's doing it now. We look and things aren't comfortable. I don't like what I see in this world. I don't like the sin that, that is running rampant. I don't like decisions that world leaders are making. But I look. And I see a God who's in control. I look and he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God doesn't change. His plan hasn't changed. The world around us is changing, but he doesn't. And he's the one who holds tomorrow for you, for me. He holds it. He's in control. He's doing as he pleases. Why? Because it's best. And he's getting ready. And just so you know, next time you turn on the news and you start to feel that anxiety build up just a little bit, Remember this, God doesn't panic. He's not looking at things and panicking. And as we look around and see things falling apart, he's looking and seeing things fall into place. And that brings comfort to me because I don't see it. But I see him. I see his word. I see a sovereign God. I love the book of Daniel because it brings peace, it brings comfort. And I want to close with the words, ironically, of a pagan king like Nebuchadnezzar. A man the world looked at and said, there is no way that man, one who would throw three men into a blazing furnace for worshiping and praying to God and God alone. There's no way that man's heart could be humbled or brought low. And God does it. And at the end of this time, look at verse or chapter 4 with me. These are the words of King Nebuchadnezzar as he realizes that God is sovereign. God is the one with the plan and God will do as he pleases. Here are the words of King Nebuchadnezzar, that man who once thought himself great. He says this, But at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My reason returned to me, 
and I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored Him who lives forever. O King, you won't, but He will. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All. Mark that. All. The inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Some of the most powerful verses on the sovereignty of God. We have a great God. We have a God that is a God above all other gods. And church, I am comfortable with God doing as he pleases. Because he is sovereign. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are in control. God, that truly does bring peace and comfort in this day. When we look around and we see so much that burdens our hearts, and God, it burdens yours. But you have a plan and you are working it out. God, we look forward to your son returning. God, we look forward to your reign. In the meantime, may we be faithful. Faithful to serve you. Faithful to follow you. Faithful where you have us. God, we thank you and praise you because you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name.